This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel app. Did you know the app can help you forecast more than just the weather? With allergy tracking and fluid mapping. So you know when to stay inside and load up on podcast, As well as air quality and UV indexing. So you know when to get outside, load up on sunscreen and podcast. Forecast more of what you love with the Weather Channel app. Hello and welcome to Care Talk. So uh, my name is Laura Packard and I'm the founder of Healthcare Voices, but healthcare is personal for me because I'm a cancer survivor and I went through the American healthcare system firsthand. We are here to answer your questions and help you navigate the United States healthcare system. So to answer those questions, uh, first, uh, I'd like to hear more about uh, open enrollment and the Affordable Care Act. Uh, who can get health insurance uh, and what should you do if you don't have health insurance? So welcome back, Alka from Health Sherpa. Thanks, Laura. Um, first of all, open enrollment uh, is over in most states, but not all. So if you live in California, D.C., Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, or Rhode Island, there is still time to enroll for coverage in 2023. Um, all of those states, apart from Massachusetts, uh, you have until the end of the month. Massachusetts, uh, you actually have until today. So if you're in Massachusetts, maybe go uh, call the connector right now and uh, get your coverage for uh, the rest of this year. Um, if you are not in one of those states and you still need coverage, um, there are um, a couple of options that you can explore. The first is whether you have a qualifying life event in order to enroll. Uh, that could be something like um, having lost coverage recently, getting married, divorced, uh, had a baby. Um, relevant to our guest speaker today, if you are a member of a federally recognized tribe, you can actually enroll any time of year. So that is an option as well. Um, so the first order of business would be to call healthcare.gov or speak to um, someone at your state marketplace. Make sure that that is not, uh, that, that you may, if you have a qualifying life event, that um, you can enroll. If you don't have a qualifying life event, it's important to note that depending on your income, you might be eligible to enroll in Medicaid year round. Now that is state uh, sponsored, state federal, uh, part, a state federal partnership that provides low or no cost coverage to folks um, who meet certain income uh, limits. And really important to note that those income limits are monthly, not annual. So if you um, have you know had a recent drop in your income, even if you think you know that might go up in future really worth applying for Medicaid and, and seeing if that might be an option for you. Thank you, Alika. And right now uh, is open enrollment for Medicare Advantage. Uh, to talk more about that, uh, welcome Diane from Just Care and Social Security Works. So uh, who can enroll? Who's eligible? What, what should you be doing uh, with this Medicare Advantage open enrollment period? Uh, great question. And the answer is you should be looking hard at what your Medicare Advantage plan is giving. Uh, most people don't take the time during the Medicare annual open enrollment period, which happens in the fall, to see whether their plan is changing benefits, is changing cost structure, um, is, is changing the way it covers their care. And then they're often in for a big surprise in January when the doctors that they thought they could continue to see in network are no longer there or their costs are going up or their prescription drugs are no longer covered. So 
That's why the government gives you this right as a Medicare Advantage member only to take another look. And if you're not getting the coverage that you thought you were getting or the coverage that you need and you want to switch either to another Medicare Advantage plan or to, to traditional Medicare, you are free to do so. But here's the rub. The rub is that um, with Medicare Advantage, it's often hard to know how things are going to shake out. Certain things are fixed, but the networks are changing all the time. Uh, with traditional Medicare, you can see virtually any doctor and have your care covered anywhere in the U.S., um, but you do need supplemental coverage. And except for in Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maine, and New York, you have no guaranteed right to supplemental coverage. So if you're leaving your Medicare Advantage plan in order to go into traditional Medicare, do check to make sure that you will be able to buy supplemental coverage before you drop your Medicare Advantage plan for, for traditional Medicare. If you can, great. If you can't, you may want to stick with Medicare. Thank you, Diane. Uh, our next question is from Jackie, who wants to know how about lowering health insurance deductibles? Mine has gone up $500 since last year, and this is the second year it's increased by hundreds of dollars. My deductible is $10,000 this year. So much greed. <laughs> Alika, uh, can you talk about uh, what Jackie or anyone listening can do to have a lower health insurance deductible? Absolutely. And I'll say that this trend of writing, rising deductibles has been going on for a long time and it is, is very, very difficult. Um, if you are shopping on the Affordable Care Act marketplaces, um, there are a few things you can do to make sure that you are getting the lowest deductible possible. Um, the first thing to do is make sure that you are, just as Diane mentioned, uh, checking into your options for Medicare each year, really make sure you are actively shopping um, when you get the opportunity to change plans each year. Again, a couple of states, you still have an opportunity for 2023. Um, and the reason for that is that plan availability and pricing change annually. Um, and there might be a different option available this year that could have a lower deductible. Um, the other thing to note is that if you, um, based on your income, qualify for extra savings on an affordable care Act plan, these are called cost sharing reductions. It's really important to make sure that you are closely looking at enrolling in a silver plan. That's because if you enroll in a silver plan, you can use those extra cost sharing reductions to reduce your deductible, reduce your out-of-pocket costs, your out-of-pocket limit, co-pays when you see the doctor. Um, but if you enroll in any other type of plan, you are giving up those benefits. So that's a really important thing to note as well. Um, finally, uh, depending on your health needs and your budget, um, sometimes, generally speaking, the higher the premium you pay, the lower the out-of-pocket costs. So when you're looking at sort of how much you can spend in the year or how much um, healthcare you'll need, um, make sure you're sort of assessing those two things and seeing whether it makes sense to pay a little bit more upfront and access maybe some out-of-pocket costs that are uh, a little bit lower. Thank you. Uh, and our next question is, uh, came in via text, uh, the Mayo Clinic accepts traditional Medicare, but does not accept Advantage plans. Uh, as a former agent, I agree with that decision. What can we do about rationing and de facto denial of authorized services uh, and the high administrative costs associated with managing these for-profit Medicare Advantage plans? Diane? Such a great question and so important. And it's basically how I spend every day thinking about what can we do? Um, the truth is that we are now overpaying these Medicare Advantage to the tune of 6% more than we're spending per person in traditional Medicare, and that has to stop. 
but Congress has not been willing to adjust those payments yet. Um, and that's needed to strengthen traditional Medicare and put, give an out-of-pocket cap to traditional Medicare so people don't need supplemental coverage and can afford to join traditional Medicare. Uh, your point about Mayo Clinic is well taken. I think what we are seeing in uh, to greater extent as the years continue is that a lot of the hospitals and the better ones don't want to have anything to do with Medicare Advantage. That's not all of them. And I don't, you know, it's not all Medicare Advantage plans, it's not all hospitals at all, but a lot of them just feel like their claims aren't getting paid. And what we do know um, both from the data and anecdotally is that a lot of hospitals spend a hell of a lot of time just fighting denials from uh, Medicare Advantage plans, even after patients have been uh, told that their care is authorized. Uh, as a patient, you're not responsible for the cost when the care is authorized, but obviously uh, your hospital, your doctor is going to have to bear a big cost if it isn't paid, and then obviously would not want to be part of a Medicare Advantage plan that wasn't paying its bills. So, um, I agree with you. We're working hard now, actually, with uh, Pramila Jaipal's office um, in in the House uh, to make the case to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services that Medicare Advantage plans should be required to cover all centers of excellence, all and really all Medicare providers at the Medicare approved rate. Um, it's really the rate that the plans pay that's material to having a network. And because they can piggyback off of the traditional Medicare rates, there's really no reason to let them have a network. And often what people experience in Medicare Advantage, or too often anyway, is that um, the network is inadequate to meet their needs. So that has to get addressed. And one way to do that would be just to insist that Medicare Advantage plans all had open networks. So thank you for that question, and we'll keep pushing for that. And call your members of Congress and let them know that this is an issue and that they need to address it. Thanks so much. Absolutely. And uh, what should you do if you need help picking an insurance plan? Uh, and what's the difference between brokers and navigators who you may be told can help you out? Alika? Great question. Um, so there are many, many uh, places that you can go to get help with um, getting an Affordable Care Act plan or um, understanding your options. Um, one uh, option I'll just say off the bat is that if you, um, uh, one, one uh, place that you can get help is just by calling healthcare.gov or your state marketplace. Um, there is, um, I believe healthcare.gov at least is open 24 hours a day. So that's always an option available to you. Um, when it comes to um, navigators um, or assisters as a whole, navigators and certified application counselors versus brokers, uh, the former are federal or state funded uh, assisters who provide unbiased support um, to help you find and enroll in a uh, marketplace plan. Um, what's really important to know is that they can help you um, understand available options, um, educate you about how insurance works, but they cannot recommend specific plans. That is um, one limitation there. Um, however, they are uh, a, a source of unbiased support. They don't make a commission. Um, on the other hand, um, there are uh, brokers who are licensed to sell insurance in a specific state and have to go through a certification process to sell ACA insurance as well. Um, and so those folks um, often, they can recommend a specific plan and often a good broker will have a lot of expertise about local plan availability and networks and, and that kind of thing. 
It is important to note that brokers do make a commission um, and as such, they might not sell every single plan that is available in your area. So if you want to be sure that you're being offered every plan available, you can always check against the healthcare.gov site and uh, look into that as well. Um, and uh, there are rules now around brokers having to disclose how much um, commission they're making. So you can always ask about that. Too. And so when a broker gets a commission, uh, you as an enrollee don't pay for that, right, Alka? They get paid by the exchange. They're getting paid by the insurance company. So you'll um, brokers will have a, a contract with an insurance company that allows them to sell those plans. Um, and there's usually a commission attached to that. Um, and one thing I will note, um, uh, HealthSherpa, where I work, we are a web broker, but um, we sell every plan regardless of commission and commission uh, has never and is now not uh, even uh, allowed to uh, impact uh, plan recommendations. There are some good rules now around web brokers and, and how they recommend plans. And uh, that's been a, an improvement in the market. Okay. So if somebody is being told they need to pay to sign up for insurance apart from the premium itself, then they should find another broker? Yeah, go go find someone uh, who is uh, going to not charge you for, for that service. Um, and uh, I will note that certain states, I believe that's even uh, not permitted. Uh, so definitely um, it's important when you're working with someone to find someone who is um, sort of a local trustworthy person who's appropriately licensed and certified and can can help you get the, the, the help that you need. And let me ask one question. Um, should people be concerned that a broker might get a higher commission from one plan than another, which would incentivize that broker to steer somebody to that plan? I know with Medicare, it's a higher commission in Medicare Advantage than for supplemental coverage. So rarely do brokers recommend supplemental coverage for traditional Medicare. They go for Medicare. Right. And I can't speak to the Medicare piece, but on the ACA marketplace, um, certainly you do have uh, the right to sort of request sort of what those rates might be um, to, to see what, you know, might be driving someone's decision. I mean, I will say um, in practice that the difference tends to be not so much sort of, is this commission higher or lower, but am I getting paid at all for doing this plan? Mm -hmm. There are many plans, um, or there's some plans at least, uh, depending on what state you're in, that don't pay a commission at all. And so that person can't actually, if they don't have a contract with the carrier, they can't even sell that plan to begin with. So that's something to be aware of, for sure. And Diane, what where should people go if they want help sorting through their Medicare or Medicare Advantage options? So, <coughs> sorry. Um, there are state health insurance assistance plans in every single state for free unbiased. That's what I recommend in theory. Um, and you should try. You can go online and find the number for the, what they're called, chips in your state. Um, you can also go to a broker. Um, but the brokers can steer you and do sometimes steer you to plans that may benefit them but may not benefit you as much as um as another plan. So as Alica said, you want to, if you're going to a broker, you want to understand what that broker's motives are. And you want to make sure that you're getting what you're told you're getting and that it really is the best plan for you, which is not an easy thing to do. Maybe go to multiple brokers, but don't just, um, don't just buy what a single broker says hook, line, and sinker. Do you, you're going to need yourself. Whereas with the ships, they can really help you, although they're not going to pick the plan for you, but they can help you weigh costs and benefits. Thanks. 
And now I'm excited to introduce our special guest for today, Dr. Megan O'Connell from Doctors for America, uh, to talk about the Indian Health Service. Uh, Dr. O'Connell is a family medicine physician and serves as the chief public health officer of the Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board. So welcome, Dr. O'Connell. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us, what is the Indian Health Service? Uh, Who can use it and how does it work? Sure. Um, So we'll just kind of do some Indian Health Service 101 basics here. Um, So the Indian Health Service is the way that the federal government provides healthcare services to enrolled members of federally recognized tribes, um, American Indians and Alaska Natives, members of these 574 federally recognized tribes, um, have the right to receive health services from the federal government. It's a right that's unique within the United States. And the federal government has what's called a trust obligation or a trust responsibility to provide these services. So there is this unique relationship between the federal government and the tribes um, in a variety of services, but including health care. The Indian Health Service works probably most similar to the VA that that people will be familiar with. It is um, a direct service provider. It's not insurance. So um, American Indians don't have insurance through the Indian Health Service. It's not a type of insurance. It's actually care provider. Um, About 2.5 million American Indians and Alaska Natives receive care either through one of um, the IHS facilities, a tribally run facility, or an urban Indian health facility. These facilities are in 37 states, so all throughout the country. Um, And the urban ones are in urban areas where there are high numbers of American Indians. And the the IHS and tribal facilities are generally um, land-based, by which I mean they're they're set on or near reservations um, for specific tribes or for a group of tribes. Um, So the Indian Health Service, as many of you may know, is chronically underfunded. That that might be the other thing you know about the Indian Health Service. Um, The best numbers I could find were from a 2017 GAO report at that time, the per capita expenditure on American Indians through the Indian Health Service was about $4,000 per person um, in 2017. For for comparison, Medicaid was about twice that of $8,000. Medicare was $13,000. So um, those kind of disparities in funding are chronic and well-known and well-documented really since the beginning of the provision of health services to American Indians in the United States. And along with these disparities in funding, there are, of course, disparities in health outcomes um, with If we use COVID as an example, American Indians experiencing the highest rates of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths of any other racial and ethnic group, um, as well as experiencing the highest drops in life expectancy. And so uh, these um, funding deficits, along, I'm sure, with many other (laughs) issues, contribute to the health disparities experienced by the... And so uh, is the Indian Health Service only open to people that are a recognized member of a tribe or uh, if they're a family member or a non-recognized tribe? Uh, who can use the Indian Health Service? Mm-hmm. Well, it gets quite complicated. There are whole teams of people that figure this out. The, the basic um, idea is any member of a federally recognized tribe um, is eligible for services Um, which services you're eligible for and at which facility depend on which tribe you're enrolled in, where you're living at the time and and various things like that. 
Um, women who are carrying a native child, so non-native women who might be pregnant with a native child are eligible for services and there's other um, provisions like that for certain groups. Tribes as well can decide who they want to provide services to if they have taken over the provision of services. So some tribes might extend it beyond enrolled members to descendants of members, for example, or household members of household members of tribal members. So in some places it's not administered, it's the decisions aren't made by the government, it's made by the, the tribe? Yep, so um, in the 70s, uh, the, there was a act passed that allowed the tribes to take over some of these services. And um, a little over half have done that so far. And in that case, the funding um, stream essentially comes through the Indians Health Service, but then the tribe itself administers the funds to provide the healthcare services. So it pays the doctors and nurses and, and pays for the facility. And, that. and so if you're a member of the tribe, how do you use uh, the Indian Health Service? Do you just, is there a phone number and you make an appointment and you call <laughs> up a clinic or, or do you need, since there it isn't insurance, it's providers of care, yeah. do you need to register with the Indian Health Service first? Um, not necessarily. So um, the Indian Health Service outside of the urban Indian clinics um, is really connected to the reservations. And so generally you have to live within a designated um, area, a service unit um, to be able to receive care at that facility, unless you're a member of that tribe who lives somewhere else. Again, it gets very complicated, um, but you can present to care like anybody else. Um, you do have to prove your enrollment, your, your, your ability to receive care at that facility. Um, but I, I personally have received care at a facility completely unrelated to my tribe. Um, and, you know, as long as I could show that I was a member of a tribe, those emergency services were taken care of. And so if people don't live near a facility, they could either travel to a facility or um, they could enroll in insurance through the Affordable Care Act or something else and get care through the non-Indian health service network? For sure. So um, just because uh, American Indians have this special relationship with the federal government doesn't mean they're not also American citizens that have the ability to enroll in things like um, insurance plans through the ACA. So you you can do both. It's it's more of an and than an either or. Um, to so you can also have private insurance or insurance public insurance like Medicare or Medicare. Okay. Uh, so how, do you have any sense of whether there's a lot of people out there that may be eligible for the Indian health service that don't know about it, or it, you, you may not have access to that, those kinds of numbers, but is, is there yeah. an information gap? That's a good question. I would bet that most people know that they're eligible if they're an enrolled member of a tribe. Um, but there are a large number of American Indians who don't live anywhere near their reservation um, and therefore can't receive services. That is what the urban Indians health centers um, are an attempt to help bridge that gap, but they're they're not ubiquitous. They're only in certain cities where there's a large number of American Indians and the services they can provide um, in terms of referral cares are is more limited than you can get through Indian Health Service or tribal facility. And are they in the usual big cities like Cal like Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, you would yep. expect in yep. major and cities? Some, some others um, like Sioux Falls, South Dakota, places like that and states that have um, higher population 
populations of American Indians and their bigger population centers as well. So what's something that people don't know about the Indian Health Service that they should know more about? Um, well, I think there's a lot people don't know about the Indian Health Service because there's no reason for, for people to if you don't have to interact with it. Um, but I, I think it really is important to understand this distinction between insurance and direct care. I, you know, if people talk about American Indians and Alaska Natives and healthcare, they just go, oh, it's free. They can get it whenever, you know, if they know that at all. But it's not the case. It's it's very complicated about who can receive care and when and if you don't live um, on your reservation or very close to your reservation, you may be unable to receive care. And so there are lots of American Indians who, who don't live on or near their reservations and experience um, the same difficulties with obtaining assurance and care that, that everybody else does. Um, it's not a panacea for all American Indians and Alaska Natives, even though it is an obligation of the federal government to provide care to Native people. And going back to the funding issue, uh, so what people should do if if they believe that the American <laughs> the Indian Health Service should be properly funded is they should contact their member of Congress and their senators and and tell them to fund the Indian Health Service. Yes, there recently was a big win in funding, and um, to my best of my knowledge, it was not increased. Um, but a bill was just passed at the end of 22 that allows for advanced appropriations for the Indian Health Service, um, which was not the case before. So basically, the funding came out, you know, you didn't know if you were going to be funded for the next year until it was almost there. Um, so that is a huge win. But the amount of funding is still um, far below what is uh, what other health services and insurances are funded. And is this something that states can do anything about, or this is a fully federal program and so your state can't help in, at all? Yeah, well, in terms of um, direct funding for IHS, to the best of my knowledge, there's no mechanism for states to in influence that um, because it is a completely funded, federally funded program. Um, states, of course, have some control over Medicaid, so I guess theoretically they could... Um, address any gaps in care through through insurance coverage um, and changes to those kinds of programs. Great, because uh, there are some states, I know that New Mexico is looking at uh, possibly expanding Medicaid in their state, uh, allowing people to uh, buy into Medicaid, even if they don't qualify based on income level. So uh, that would open up uh, insurance coverage to a lot more people, in including uh, Native Americans, hopefully. Yes. And of course, Medicaid expansion in any state helps any low income um, residents. So Medicaid expansion just generally to this to all the states that haven't expanded it yet are helpful as well. Well, thank you very much for joining us and uh, teaching us all about Indian Health Service. Uh, is there anything you would like to leave the audience with? Um, well, I just I hope if you're interested, please learn more about the Indian Health Service. It is a very interesting model. It's unique within the United States. Um, and there is a lot to be done that, to improve the health of American Indians and Alaska Native. Well, thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Please keep calling and texting in your questions, and we'll answer them in future episodes. Again, thanks for listening. This is Care Talk. <laughs>